0: Hey, good morning, good afternoon or good evening, depending on when you're watching this edition of Hypnosis Week. Now, you may be watching it uh, when it first goes out or you may be watching it in years to come. And that's why at certain times I will emphasize when this is recorded, which is the 24th of January 2020. That's only relevant to prices, dates or things like that. Yes, it is me, Alex William Smith, better known to many of you as Jonathan Royal, the British bad boy of hypnosis. I'm not (laughs) hoping by now, this, you realise it's because I did earn me money, but it's wearing thin. I'd like people to get to know the real me. But anyway, enough about me. I am incredibly proud and privileged, uh, particularly this week, to have a guest who, well, I've got to be careful how I choose my words because if I don't say this right, it could sound offensive and it's only meant with the best positivity. But she's been around forever in terms of the internet, okay? Now think about that the internet's not been here forever, so I'm not saying she's old because she isn't, right? Okay, before people start sending me messages going, oh, you're very offensive. Well, the fact is the internet started in 94 95 time and as you know from a previous interview or future interview depending when it goes out james zealous was like the first male hypnotist to have a website well this lady was the first female that web archive shows us having a website very astute business lady therefore and she is on many levels she's also been very controversial She's done hypnotherapy for areas that other people wouldn't even touch. Uh, she's done stage hypnosis. Um, she's done everything, basically. So it is a massive pleasure to welcome to the show, when the who I would dub to be the first lady of hypnosis, Wendy Friesen. Welcome uh, to the show. Well,
1: thank you. Thank you, Alex. And, you know, I did not know that I was the first female hypnosis website, but it makes sense because... Back then in 1994, it was really hard to make a website. I think we still had AOL disks that were being mailed to your house and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, my 12 year old nephew learned to code and he could make a web page. And it was really interesting because, you know, a 12 year old kid making me a web page, I thought, oh, well, you know, it's better than nothing. (laughs) And he learned how to make animated GIFs or GIFs. So, on the left side of the web page, There were tiny little squares. I mean, they were maybe a half inch or an inch depending on your resolution, and he made them animated. So there was a cigarette that had a little puff of smoke coming out of it, and there was a little fat person that got skinnier, and there was a breast, a profile of a boob Mm -hmm. that got bigger, bigger, bigger. So there there were four or five of these, And, and just some text information. So that website got so much traffic because of that boob. (laughs) People came there to see a little animated boob get bigger. Okay. And, and you know, um, I know you said some things they do are controversial. Well, the breast enlargement, the purpose of that boob was to sell the breast enlargement program. And people think that's a little weird, but it's been studied at several universities, and they've done long-term, like, three-month studies and shown that it increases your breast size yeah well somehow that one page website got the attention of a talk show in new york and at this time i had never been on tv i had never spoken on stage i oh nothing and uh, and the queen latifah show called me and wanted me to come out and join their show that's about breasts <laughs> so i said well yeah sure i'll do that so i thought she'll be sitting at a desk i'll be in the chair next to her And she'll ask me some questions and I'll answer them because I can do that. And I for the audience listening, this is really a lesson in being brave and taking a chance. And even if you're scared, do it anyway, because you're not going to get better if you don't face some of those fearful situations. So I fly out there, get off the plane and there's a man with a sign with my name on it (laughs) who is going to put me in the limo, take me to a beautiful suite overlooking Central Park. Picks me okay. up the next day, and this show is filmed as if it's live with a 400-person studio audience, and they asked me to pick four volunteers from the audience okay. when okay. they were in the holding area. And I said, oh, what do you want me to do to them? And they said, oh, just use them in the on each stage. And I was like, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So I did a suggestibility test with people raising their arm in the air and then having it rigid, and then the ones that could pull it down, of course, they're not going to be picked. And I picked four of them, because I didn't know stage hypnosis at all.
0: Oh, right, oh, so well, shit. Well, I just realized what you're saying. So they had a vision in mind that you are going to do something visual on TV, which you'd not yeah. been warned about. <laughs> Suddenly you're confronted with this. Yeah, yeah. I thought yeah, we'd I have know. a little briefing first. But, right. but then So they
1: had me pick these people. Now, I'm backstage, and I know the show's getting ready to start. And again, there's 400 people in the studio audience for a talk show. That's unheard of. And the one producer's putting my mic on and fiddling with the wires. And I said, well, what is exactly I'm supposed to talk about? What are we doing? She says, oh, you know, you've been on TV hundreds of times. (laughs) I had never been on TV. And then the next person, before I went out, I said, well, what is it that I'm supposed to talk about exactly she says oh you know you know what to do so alex i go out there on the stage there's no chair and desk there's four chairs queen latifah is in the audience in the very top row i am on the stage by myself the cameramen are doing things like this with their fingers and i'm thinking something's going to happen right now and i had a choice of maybe crying or fainting or running away Oh, it, when I talk about it, I still feel it, you know, just, oh, in my body. So I put my hands like this, like kind of cupped, and I held them out in front of me. I closed my eyes, and I said to myself, the audience is in the palms of your hands. They will love every word you say. You're an expert at this. So, And then, boom, show started. She did a quick introduction from up there, and she held up my book, said, Ooh, hypnotize your lover. And she's going, this is juicy. (laughs) And then I had to start the show. I had no preparation because I didn't think I was going to have to have all the content. I was going to answer questions. So that little five-second hypnosis I did right then, you know, when you're in in a a state of fear, you're very suggestible, right? (laughs) Well, it worked. I started talking about hypnosis. I talked about the research of breasts and hypnosis, and um, it was really fascinating because people don't know about that. And then I had brought my four participants up on the stage having no idea what I would do, and I've never done stage hypnosis. I've watched videos
0: at that point. Okay, well, well you have done since, shall we? Huh? Have you done since?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, I've done plenty since. I was going
0: to say, I've seen videos where you look as accomplished as anyone, full stop.
1: (laughs) Yeah, at that point, I had never done that. Right. So I, I had the, it was four women, and I had them, you know, relaxing, and I'd pull on their arms, and I'd touch their shoulders and things like that. Um, but still I thought this is about breasts. So I'm going to make them think their breasts are growing. And it was very funny and entertaining. And one of the women was, she was black and she had enormous breasts. I mean, they were mm, really huge. And so I'm touching her shoulder and saying, you <laughs> um, I didn't want them to get bigger, but I said, your breasts are going to be talking to you when I count to three and you open your eyes and they're going to be saying things. And the thing I didn't say that I wanted to, but I just stopped myself is, and I bet they have some stories to tell, (laughs) but Uh, I stopped myself and I said, they're going to talk to you and tell you some interesting things. And she did great. And you know, so she opens her eyes and she just, but it was a total success. They kept me up there for a half an hour. The show's an hour long. They kept me up there by myself for half an hour. Yeah. Oh, so anyway, the courage part for you, that all of you who are listening, what I did in that 10 seconds, that five seconds or whatever that made me have the courage to not you know, cry or run away is because I practiced hypnosis, not extensively at that point, but I had enough insight to think, okay, you don't want to start firing off the parts of your brain that are fear and worry and I'm going to look stupid and I'm going to screw this up. You got to um, power up the parts of your brain that are like, okay, I got this. I can do this. Even if you don't know how, you know, Ah, it's, a, it's just such a cool thing. And then the stage hypnosis started because um, a man named Lynn in Sacramento, who is, had been a hypnotist forever, he did grad night shows for high schools and he got sick and he said, Wendy, I have three shows this weekend. Can you do them for me? And it was like Thursday already. <laughs> So that's how I learned stage hypnosis. Oh my God. Whoa. What if it was at two in the morning? Because you went and did it. I did. Yeah. (laughs) But what if it was at two in the morning? And then it was outside because it was Sacramento. It was warm. And it started raining. We had a covering, but the rain started just coming down like crazy. But yeah, they were all successful.
0: Donna, Ashley, based on what you've just said, a couple of things come to mind. Uh, one of them is because um, well, one of them is what era? What when was the Queen Letitia show? What year was that?
1: It was um, probably about ninety six, ninety, probably about nineteen ninety six. I've been doing this for maybe a year,
0: year and a half. Yeah, that, that's a, excellent. Because just on a side note, certain British stage hypnotists who claim but they came up with the idea of body parts talking to each other. Watch and learn. <laughs> it's done before. Uh, the, from the other point of view, I know you had a lot of controversy with the um, increasing breast size and pure logic for viewers. For some people who are watching this who've been gone through the clinical hypnotherapy route where they're told that's rubbish, it can't happen. My perspective on that is that, A, maybe the ladies that you treat don't get an increase in breast size, but if they get more confidence and remove all their inhibitions and stuff, that they look at themselves differently and appreciate more what they already have, which is still mm-hmm. a great outcome. Or that why shouldn't it work? Because when women have their period, hormones release and naturally breast size wow. increase. When women are pregnant mm-hmm. and hormones change, Breast size can increase. Um, and people like Dr. Bruce Lipton um, mm. have proven that mind can control. The so if that can happen naturally in nature, surely it's possible our mind, if we believe mind controls, body can make it happen. Yeah. But to finish up on that, what about the Penn and Teller bullshit? Oh, hmm.
1: yeah, that was very unfortunate. Um, I decided that I could do a fantastic job. On that show of getting really solid, amazing hypnosis stuff. Mm-hmm. So I had a doctor's office next to my office and I had a dentist's office on the other side. At the doctor's office, I had two participants who the doctor stuck a needle through the skin on their hands and they were like, ah, ah, ah. And then we I hypnotized them and had their other hand be numb. Yeah, and the doctor's yeah. putting the needle through that side and they're not flinching. There's nothing. They're just watching it going, what? And the doctor says, you don't feel that? And they're, no. And the doctor was, amazed. he says, this can't be. That was a good bit. You yes. didn't use it.
0: Then we go to the dentist's office. That's telling people at home, let me just say. If anyone knows how television can be edited to make you look bad, trust me, it's me. That's why I'm apparently the British bad boy of hypnosis. And, yeah. um they cut things out they do so if you ever look on youtube and look at the pen and teller bullshit thing, know this much when there's a reason why Wendy's been in this business so long and has such a wonderful reputation is with what she does with pure intent is because she gets results for clients uh but watch that program and they portray things very differently
1: Oh, it was. Yeah. So the the next part, I know that all of you listening will find this very fascinating, and I do want to spread the truth about what happened. Please do. In the dentist's office, I have a person, a man who has a really bad dental phobia, and he just, he can't even go sit in the chair hardly. So he's in the chair. We have a blood pressure cuff on that has a digital monitor. It's showing his blood pressure, and the cameras would show the blood pressure. Okay. So we saw it before, and then... I'm spinning the drill above him. with His eyes are closed, but I'm spinning the dentist's drill. And going, wee, wee, wee. Yeah. And then we yeah. look at the blood pressure, and it's just going crazy. His blood pressure is skyrocketing. So then I have him close his eyes. I did maybe six or seven minutes of a trance for him to get rid of his dental phobia. And it worked. The blood pressure thing, this is good stuff for TV. The blood pressure, I'm, I'm spinning that drill, wee, wee, wee. His blood pressure is staying low and relaxed and his body's relaxed. And then they interviewed him and he said, that is incredible. I didn't, I don't know how that could have happened. Then there's another woman that I had come over and she's 20 years old and they interviewed her and did not use that either. She faints every time she goes to the doctor, all of her life, she faints
0: at the doctor
1: just as soon as she sees the doctor, All, all her life. So she's tried everything except hypnosis and we did a regression to cause and she went back to her birth, which was a very difficult birth. And there were a lot of different people that were rushed into the room and then she was taken out by herself and lots of fear and everything. She described the people in the room at her birth and then she later talked to her mother and said... These are the people that I saw during the birth, and the mom said, "That's oh no way you could have known that," and she did. It was correct information, but she never fainted again. Her fainting was gone. This was a great piece for them to put
0: on the TV. Would fit their agenda.
1: Yeah. So then, um, they like they took pieces of my conversation that applied to a certain thing like the subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between a real and imagined event and they put that somewhere else to try to make me look like i didn't know what i was talking about and then um (laughs) the kind of touchy part like i thought you know i know people know about this penis enlargement thing But I'm going to tell them how this started because it's kind of a cute story and they like things that are kind of, you know, edgy like that. So I'm in this one room and the cameraman used some kind of a fisheye lens to make me look really weird, I guess. We saw later. But I said, you know, this is a really weird story. This man named James asked me if he could enlarge his penis. And while it seems strange, I told him no. I can't imagine that could happen. He had me make him a tape, a cassette tape at the time, and he listened to it for a month. His -hmm. wife was gone on a trip during that month, and when she got home and they were going to have sex, there was a dramatic difference in the size of his penis, and he knew it, too. He said, it's even bigger flaccid. And he said, it was a little tough to actually, you know, get the entry going. And then he kept doing the tape, and it even kept getting bigger. A year later... He got in contact with me and says, you know, the size has stayed. It's never gone down. But what a great thing for men who are insecure about size and just want to have a little more potential. So, of course, they made me look really ridiculous, even though I was talking about it in the way I just did to you, because um, their job is making me look ridiculous. And my office, I had like 14 staff members at that time, and we got so many horrible hate mails and hate calls. And... Like if I walked in the grocery store and I saw one of my neighbors, they would turn away and they wouldn't people wouldn't talk to me in my neighborhood anymore. I and,
0: and, and then at went. school,
1: my my two kids at school Oh yeah, yeah. and I did a good job. I did such a good job.
0: The media can be nasty, and you know? I, I I know that from firsthand experience, but but there is a people who are not on the cutting edge of you being uh, may not realise that, you know, as observers, they might go, "Well, it's your own fault. You shouldn't have agreed to take part." But they don't realise that we get promised certain things, um, and there's whole team of people misguiding us. And, yeah. So, yeah. well, here's we, one more thing. One more did thing
1: they, they did. did the, you made more sales. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah.
0: So even bad publicity, but I don't think it was that bad. It was wrong and they distorted it, but having watched it, I still think it came across as anyone who knew Penn and teller, no offence to them because I think they're great performers, but they were just following the script that they were given. I still think they were a bit tongue-in-cheek and anyone with a functioning brain cell might go, this might not be the entire full story. Yeah.
1: Well, the ad- extra thing that happened was, um, like we didn't talk about diseases or illnesses or medical things, other than we you know he did the bit in the doctor's office and had a couple clients in there. A um, couple weeks after shooting, the producer calls and she said, "I want your CD that is for curing cancer." And I said, "I do not have a CD for curing cancer. I do not cure cancer, and I don't claim I can." Thank God for that. <laughs> right, yeah. So there's one CD I have that's called Disc of Light, and it's imagining this glowing disc that has the ability to remove harmful cells or viruses or bacteria mm. from your body and correct whatever conditions, and any cancerous cells are swept out of your body along, you know. And then, so that's as little as I had.
0: For the they- viewers oh, home, let me put in right now and say, you know, from previous editions, because I interviewed uh, Gary Coles hypno-oncology, I'm saying previous editions, but actually it's going to be after this because when disease is going to go out before Gary's? Um, but the, my belief is that we can, through the mind, uh, yeah. possibly yeah. cure things like that, but we're not allowed to legally, because of the cancer or other things, ever state that anyway. Yeah,
1: yeah, and so I would not make claims about that, and I don't have a program that says it's going to cure cancer, and I don't tell, even though I work with cancer patients a lot, Um, So all they had was me saying that one little thing that said, you know, and it was in context, it was with harmful bacteria or viruses or anything that is not supposed to be there, um, you know, and cancerous cells that are swept from your body. And even though there's evidence that we can do that. They took that one little piece and said, she says she can cure cancer. She is the bottom of the barrel because she's making money from dying people telling them that she can cure uh, their cancer from one little word on that CD. And that to me
0: was just evil. That was that vicious. Is a prime example of gutter journalism.
1: Yeah. And I didn't send them the CD, by the way, that, that they asked me they and since i didn't send it they bought it from me we didn't know they were buying it but someone bought it so they could do that to me and why why do they want to do that to me i gave them great content and whatever so anyway we could move on from that yeah we're
0: going to move on don't worry this is going to steer towards more recent and more positivity but for viewers who make any viewer who watches this who's not encountered Wendy before clearly has only just got into the industry very recently. And I don't mean that offensively to you if you fall in that category. It's just that it's the nature of the event. Wendy speaks at conferences around the world, hundreds of different audio programs, training, pro- all manner of stuff going everywhere. She's everywhere. So, but one thing I do want to ask, you, and this is more, partly for the viewers, but more for my own curiosity, I have never been more entertained than watching your daily video blogs when they happened about anal muck pen. Sorry, that's an anagram. Paul McKenna. Oh, God. Well, if you check it, it's an anagram. Anal muck pen is an an anagram of Paul McKenna. No offence, Paul, but it is. I can't help it. It genuinely is an anagram. Your uh, daily... um, Video blogs, including on your motorbike and all this, that, the other, because he had a hissy fit. And if you want to try and sue me, Paul, please do, but it's my opinion. You can't sue me over opinion. Um, A hissy fit because you had the business, Nelson intelligence to own the domain name I Can Make You Thing. And he decides to publish a book called that. And rather than perhaps negotiating with you a realistic market value price to purchase it if he really wanted it he threatened you with legal action and all manner of stuff he did sue
1: me he sued me they went to court he he did in the end did he he did and i had on the phone i had offered to the whoever was the representative for him i said well how about a thousand dollars how's that what's about it for a thousand dollars and instead he sued me because that's where he made all his money was suing people in britain you know And he sued me for what was it for? It was like, I don't know, it was eighty thousand dollars or something he was suing me for. And they just threw it out. But yeah, it was fun. um, The first challenge I gave him um, when I privately emailed him, I said, hey, you know, we could really do something with this to get some attention and just have some fun with it. And we'll have a little contest for the viewers can vote or something that, you know, let's make something fun out of it. And he didn't get back to me, of course. So that's when I did the, like, baking the cookies. And I said, you can only use three ingredients, and whoever bakes the best cookies. And the ingredient was a rock and a whole avocado in a bowl and, I don't know, a pencil or something. So I go and whip it up, and I bring out this beautiful tray of perfect chocolate chip cookies. I said, okay, Paul, it's your turn. Um, and then the motorcycle challenge to race on my motorcycle. Um, that motorcycle scared me a lot. I didn't have it very long, <laughs> but there was a third challenge. I don't remember what it was. But what a little, yeah. Ah, I won't swear, but oh my
0: gosh. They were so inc- and yet the ridiculous. I didn't know that bit of information you just said, but for a thousand dollars, he could have owned the domain name without any legal action. We're done. Yep, done. You know. And this is my opinion. Please don't say anything that would drop you in it. I don't want to drop you in it. But I, I I suddenly feel that as documented evidence shows that you had internet presence before pretty much anyone. And in America, that would give you more presence and go, one might wonder if. From a cost-risk-ratio point of view, somebody said it's worth spending the money on legal action just for the potential... Uh, if you win, right? Well, not, not whether you win or not, but just for the attraction it might bring to your name as here in Britain from the followers of the person in America. Yeah. That yeah. scenario. I don't know, it never made sense. All I know is it was incredibly entertaining, your videos. Hats off to <laughs> you. Incredibly entertaining. So let's change the subject. Shortly after those videos, or maybe before, because i followed you for years, not in a strange stalkery way.
1: Oh,
0: yeah. but, but I have, uh, as I'm sure many people in the industry have. And I remember seeing you on a video, say, in relation to addictions, which you're largely known for, and so I'm cutting to the chase here but I remember you saying that um, the 12-step plans do not work they leave people dependent and I thats burnt into my head and then when I was working with addiction clients that was always in my head especially if they said they'd been at AA or Narcotics Anonymous or whatever and it rings so true. now. it's proven itself to be true that it's like they want them dependent over there. But the truth is, they should be saying every day, I am Alex, Jonathan Royal, whatever. And I am me, not, you know, I am a recovering. Well, recovering is a negative. No, you're thing, always an addict. You always you. have a suggestion. Negative suggestion was you're a recovering.
1: Yeah. Because you're an addict for life, you have a disease for the rest of your life, relapse is part of recovery, and you can't be around normies, which are people that drink. So I took a totally opposite approach. And at one point, well, my oldest son, he had been in rehab a few times, mostly for alcohol, but then when he was in a sober living, he learned how to shoot up heroin there. So he went back to rehab many times, and I spent over $150,000 on these rehabs. So one of them in Southern California, he was there, and I had written him a check, them a check for thirty thousand dollars. And the director found out about the work I do. So my son wouldn't let me do my addiction work with my hypnosis. My my son was
0: just like, nope, my mom
1: is not going to do any hypnosis. And to me. be
0: honest, if 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 what's your views on this? Generally speaking, we go, we hear, don't try it on family and friends, people who know you anyway.
1: Um, I, sweated, I didn't understand so therapy, that.
0: therapy, when you're learning, you kind of get told, don't try it on your family and friends because they knew you before you were. So. Yeah, yeah. So,
1: so when was- I, went, I went in the office um, with the manager of this center, and this center had over 100 people because they housed them in individual apartments with six each because that's the max you're allowed to do. But they had over 100. So this man, Ryan, says, um, we have a very low success rate it's only five to seven percent and we'd like to improve that and I had just given them a check for $30,000 as had a hundred other families to send their person there and he said I understand that you work with addiction with your hypnotherapy so I went and met with the entire board of this addiction treatment center and everyone was really on board with it so then I went and did a a session maybe an hour hour and a half with about 20 of the people of the guests in there
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the next day ryan brought me in. he said what did you do to them everybody's talking about it they're so excited they feel so good well here's what i did i just had them go on a timeline into their future you know they were relaxed eyes closed in a light trance go on this timeline into their future for three months, six months, one year. And at one year in the future, I ask them to look back on that last year and remember how easy it was to just let go of alcohol or drugs. It was easier than you imagined. And notice what you're proud of now. Who are you really now? What do you love about your life? And then I anchor three words. It's healthy, strong, and in control. And I say, in this moment in time now you're so healthy you have healthy thoughts your body is healthy and then I say you're strong physically you're strong but you have strength of character and you love that about yourself and then you know, in control we talk about that so anchoring these three words it makes people massively love who they are in that future and I keep speaking as if that's now because I say now in this future moment as you look back you realize that those were some mistakes you made, and they don't matter anymore. You don't have a disease. You don't have to worry about relapsing because alcohol is just not a thing. You don't care about it. So so someone um, who used my recorded program for the alcohol says, I was at a conference. I had only been sober for like a month and a half. I was at a conference sitting at the bar, sipping on club soda. My friend comes up beside me and buys a glass of my favorite whiskey and then my friend runs it their friend didn't know that he had quit drinking
0: all right okay his friend puts
1: it under his nose and you know when we smell something that olfactory sense lights up our brain
0: but direct to the unconscious yeah Mm -hmm. yeah
1: and what he said this is really important for everyone to know he said when i smelled that whiskey i knew i was healthy strong and in control we fired the trigger that lit that up. Excellent. And then um, I used to do a lot of national advertising for the alcohol program. And one of the ads I said, if it seems like the only time you need to have a drink is right after you leave an AA meeting, it's not your fault. So then people would call our office and say, oh, my God, that's the only time I I go and get something to drink or I have to fight all these cravings right after a meeting. Well, no shit, Sherlock. You're listening to sad stories. Your brain is lighting up with all these stories in your head and emotions and fear that they're talking about and oh, on and on. So anyway, that was really a good thing. Now I will say that AA makes you relapse. And I believe it firmly. And you know, you know why. Yeah. 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 Because they're hypnotizing you. They don't mean to be, but they are to fail. (laughs) But yeah, I've had so much success with the addiction program. It is amazing. And some people, they can fly in and do private um, work with me for four days. And then we just work on like for about five hours each day and we go through the whole thing. And when they're done, they are solid. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So anyway, that's what I love. It's just amazing. And it's unfortunate that people keep putting money into rehabs that feed you crappy food and convince you, oh, like the, the first rehab Sean went to, I was there for one of the meetings. They had an expert speaker who goes around to all the different 12-step groups, and he speaks. First thing he says, is he says, hi, I'm Harold, and everybody says, hi, Harold, He goes, I'm an alcoholic, and he says, and I got to tell you, I haven't had a drink in 20 years, but every day I'm still hoping to make it to midnight. I am white knuckling it every day, mm-hmm. and I know, and then, he, so everybody's all sad and going like, oh, fff this, and then he goes on to talk about when I used to fly on the on the planes, they had those little bottles of liquor. He says, I could steal so many from the cart. I could get 10 or 12 of those and get just so drunk. It was great. Look what he just did, you know, glorifying it and help, having people think, oh, man, yeah, getting drunk is so fun. And he's all happy. Beautiful hypnosis. But for the wrong reason. And he went on to continue to tell them all these horrible things and how they have to fight so hard, even after 20 years. Then another place, when Sean was getting ready to leave um, after his month, the person told the group of them, they said, some of you are leaving in a few days, and I want you to know that in 60 days, only one in 12 of you will still be clean and sober. No. Yes. Can you believe it? The, you, what goes on in rehab should be illegal. No, 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 no,
0: <laughs> They said only one
1: 12 of you will be clean. Right, only one. Look around, only one of you. Well, they're not...
0: So everyone in their head is going to be thinking, is it going to be me? That's like the stage hypnotist <laughs> saying, I've got 12 people on stage and I'm telling the audience now, I know two people on stage are likely to end up having to be sent back. I won't point them out right now because I don't want to embarrass them. But don't be surprised if I have to send two people back. So it sets up that state of mind of I don't want it to be me so that they're all more cooperative. But it's totally the other way around that that's going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes, that's terrible.
1: And then they are believing they have a disease and all of the other negative things about it. But the the stuff that I experienced because I went to meetings at these different rehabs because I was paying a lot of money for this. Yeah. There course. was one that was science based. They still weren't getting good results, but they were at least more science based and no AA or 12 step. So you pay all this money for your loved one, thirty mm-hmm. to forty thousand dollars. They're fed horrible food. They aren't given any kind of mindfulness or. You know nothing that is going to help them grow or be a better person mm-hmm. they're just going to have aa meetings one of the places drove them all to aa meetings so they didn't even have to figure out how to have one in their facility oh. and they don't they don't heal their brain so in my program there's there's supplements that i have you taking to heal your brain so that you do start producing dopamine sooner. And you replace those things that the alcohol or drugs were doing, and repair the dendrites and um, the using tyrosine to repair the connections in your brain, and so much. Yeah. So anyway.
0: <laughs> so if any of that strikes a chord, obviously uh, visit Wendy's website, which we'll give you later, and it'll also be below this video when it goes out. So I mean, yeah. Um, wow. Well, I, I can't. Say. Horrendous. Think one in 12 of you is the only 11 out of 12 of you eat, it's not going to work for. I mean, it just, Yeah.
1: Oh, the, the horror stories go on and on. Of in, what any I,
0: other, in any other industry or anything, if you went 11 out of 12 people it's not going to work for, you wouldn't stay in business, would you? Yeah.
1: You'd be shut down by the consumer affairs or something. Oh, so back to um, the... Um, the big center in Newport beach that had over a hundred people. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the presentation for the board and everybody loved it except for one person because the people who were there who had been struggling were suddenly so positive and so happy. And they're like, wow, that was really good. I feel so good now after one session. So the psychiatrist did not like what I had to offer. And I met with him privately and he just, he, ahead before he even met me, he knew, you know, this is a lay person. She doesn't have a bunch of letters after her name. She got a CHT that means like almost nothing. Um, yeah. So he said, nope, I'm not doing that.
0: It has no scientific, like, you know, foundation. And It had no financial benefit because they couldn't prescribe drugs for it.
1: Yeah. So the treatment centers like the um, revolving door. Even though you're not going back to that same place, you're going to a new one in a six months or a year. And you're going to keep going to the next one where it's like, oh, yeah, this one sounds great. And then there's brokers. When you um, look online for a treatment center, the person you're going to be talking to is a broker. So I'm—I didn't know that the first time I'm talking to a man named Darren. He was so nice.
0: Sorry, Wendy. I've got to ask you. Broker to me in English um, is another word for like like a car broker, a stock broker, like an agent who sells things. It, yeah, exactly so a salesperson. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. It's so a he's salesperson. a salesperson.
1: Yeah, for all these different rehabs. Okay. So Darren, like, because I was calling the number for a rehab, for a specific one, and he was so warm and caring, and I just thought, wow, they're really going to take care of my son, that's great, oh my gosh. So I take Sean down to San Clemente, to this place, and I go in there, I said, I'd really like to meet Darren, and everybody's like, who, what? I said, well, Darren, the person who answered your phone here, and he says, there's no one here by that name. I said, was there a week ago, and they said no. <laughs> so he does answer the call, I think it was like Pacific Hills or something, and he answers it with the name of that rehab. But he's a broker that is getting like five thousand dollars a person or whatever to send these people to these rehabs, and that's how it
0: works. Well, for
1: folks, this
0: isn't timeshare, this is people's lives we're talking about,
1: yes, and people are dying. So to to help everybody understand why this works and how it works, there's a lot of sessions in my program because we're not just getting you to quit drugs or alcohol. We're restoring your integrity, your desire to be honest, to love yourself again. And and so that all is truly in the past to forgive yourself. But one of the clients that he used the recorded program, um, he drank over a case of beer a day (laughs) and he said Everybody that knows me knows I'm just a fat slob drunk. That's all I've been. I'm 45 years old and I've my whole adult life, that's all I am. And I did your future timeline. And at one year in the future, I'm an athlete. That makes no sense because I'm not an athlete. And he says, it was really a great feeling because I'm not drinking. But this is so weird that I would think that I'm an athlete. That's ridiculous.
0: Mm-hmm. So the okay. things
1: I implanted in that future for him along with the other processes we did, got him to start working out. He is, his name's Ken, he is an Ironman athlete. He travels the world doing Ironman competitions. He's been in Kona Ironman, which is the yeah. top of the top that you have to qualify yeah. to get to Kona. And that's what he's been doing for years. That was like 15 years ago or 12 years ago that he did that. And he's an wow. Ironman. Isn't that bizarre?
0: On the one hand, it's bizarre. On the other, wow, what a great example of how changing your mindset can alter everything.
1: Yeah. And so the way that I do it when they're at that one year in the future, and I do take them even farther into the future. But at that point, the way that I word it and talk to them, it makes it so irresistible to have that life. Like, you know, I'm suggesting that maybe you've written a book and people love your book. And it's opening minds and, you know, so on. Or maybe you went back to school and you got to finally learn to be a veterinarian and or whatever. We're giving them something that they want so bad that they don't want to screw it up. And, oh, and then also, Ken, I think it was Ken, um, he said, about a month after I quit drinking, I opened my fridge and there is a six-pack of beer in there. It's been sitting there for a whole month. <laughs> and he said, that was the strangest thing. I didn't even see it. But I decided I would have a beer. So I poured some in a glass. I took one sip, and I thought, nah, I don't need that. It's no struggle. It wasn't. didn't trigger anything. Mm-hmm. So he said, mm-hmm. nah, and he threw it away. But for me, when I made the program, and, you know, when you record a program, you got your headphones on, and you're getting hypnotized by your own voice going into them. So I drank wine every day. I still do. But I drank wine every day when I got home from work at 6 o'clock or so. So about five days after I was making that program, I opened a cupboard in my kitchen and there was wine bottles in there full of wine. And I thought, what? I totally forgot about that. I said, what the hell? There's wine in there. And I could drink it. And, and I did a little bit here and there. Um, but it was so weird that I totally forgot that there was wine up there.
0: Mm-hmm. I've got to ask you, what do you think is more important? Because obviously t- target audience for this is hypnotherapist or people wanting to get into it do you think it's more important because with what you just illustrated the focus was on what your future could be in say 12 months time as opposed to look what's happened in the past what do you think is more important creating the new future or cutting the ties with the past i know that both need to be in place but which of the two do you think is the most important
1: If we started out with going in the past to go through all these things, the mistakes you've made and the things that you hate yourself for and um, the doubts about, I don't have what it takes. There's no way I can, you know, get my life back together. I've screwed everything up. If we took them into that past first, we're really igniting all that again and we're trying to work through it. But I think by taking them in the future first, and I do work on that first Um, they have something they want and we've shifted things. Now we can work on forgiving themselves, letting go of that identity of who they thought they were Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and just making sure that that's a thing that's kind of dissolving or they can look at those things in the past, but they aren't triggered by them. They're no longer having an emotional experience for it. So I would say go into the future first and then you need to do self-sabotage work. Which, doing parts therapy, you can find out what the positive intention is for the drug or alcohol use. Um, And like I say, integrity and learning to love yourself again. But yeah, it's something. And then I do a swish as well. I have them do the swish several times. So when they're, and the part that I add to it is when they've got that final screen and we've done that swish enough times on that final screen it gets really bright it has a wonderful sound it is so irresistible you just have to get in it and i have them jump in it and they're surrounded by it and it's getting in every cell in your body and this is where you live and this is what you love (sighs) everybody think kumbaya now
0: (laughs) excellent (laughs) well you've explained that brilliantly you you really have and so, I'm and because of that, viewers. Sorry if you wanted more of that, but you know, that's why you're going to search out Wendy's website. So, I'm, I'm going to change the subject entirely now. Earlier today, I noticed on your Facebook wall, so that I made a comment and then you sent me through a PDF, which I literally have only had time to look at the first two or three pages, but it's it, I will be reading it because I've enticed. Um, but you've been away recently. And you found yourself prompted to start or finish off writing a book. (laughs) So that's as many prompts as I'm going to say. Please, can you explain to the viewers what the heck I'm talking about? Because I've read the first two or three pages and I'm like, oh, oh. That was out on my mobile phone and I had to rush back for this. Um, Please explain because there's been a lot of major changes happen for you over the past. I know that towards the end of last year you had... Uh, decisions to make health wise, and you decided not to have an operation. Um, yeah,
1: my son died um, the one that was an so, addict. A yeah. Year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. He overdosed, and it was unfortunate. He had been clean for a while, and I don't know what he was thinking. Sometimes he was going to go back up to Montana, and I don't know. He just maybe was like one more time or something. A lot of addicts do that. They do like one more Wendy, time. I
0: wasn't going to bring that up, but because you yeah. have. <laughs> it's okay. Can I ask you the question that some some people might have running through their heads and me asking it, they're going to think I'm a complete and utter bastard, okay? But obviously losing a son is, I can't even put it into words. so let's, I'm not even going to go down that route. I'm not even sure what I want to ask you. I'll come to that. But I, my observation is this, for people watching, I know I've encountered hypnotherapists in the past who go, I've got these tools. They were wonderful for clients. I wish I could do it for my dad or my sister. Mm-hmm. And I go, well, don't feel bad, because one of the things we get taught is don't try and hypnotise somebody who knew you before you were a hypnotist because the belief factor's not there. How... Now, I know what the question how, is, How, I how the fuck, excuse the language, how <laughs> the f- how do you handle that, Wendy, when you have these tools and you can help so many people? Mm-hmm. But I know the reason why you, one of the reasons you can't with someone so close to you is because they're so close and they won't accept that help. But, I mean, you know where I'm yeah. coming from. And I, I
1: can tell you why. Um, and that was, In one way, it was frustrating that he didn't want my help, um, and I'll tell you why. But the other part of it is just that I could do that. I could help him. Oh, my gosh. So Sean, um, when he was six months old, it was apparent that he was a genius. By the time he was one year old, he had a vocabulary of 80 words. He had started walking at seven and a half months. At th- a month, a year and a half, he had a 400-word vocabulary with sentences and songs. He did math at two years old. He grew to be six foot five. He was drop dead gorgeous. He was charismatic. And one time, I was doing an addiction training for therapists. He came in and I said, "Sean, would you tell them what it's like to be an addict?" And he went on for 45 minutes with no preparation. They were riveted. He he was brilliant. Now, when you are a genius, you don't want other people who you think are not smart enough to help you, or you think you can solve everything yourself because you have. And he didn't have like a really horrible attitude about it. It's just that he was so superior in his mentality Mm -hmm. that he thought Mm -hmm. he was the only one who could fix this. And I think that's what the problem was, is he didn't respect the people in rehab that are telling him all this crap because he knew this was crap, and he would share it all with me and tell me, you won't believe what they said. So they lost their respect day one. Um, but he he thought he was above the law a lot of times because he's just too smart for everybody. And when he was doing heroin, then he had to steal to you know get money for heroin, and he went down a really tough path. But he did not... Respect that there are people out there who could help him. He just he just knew that he was the only one with the answer, and I think that was the problem. And it's it's so unfortunate that the work that I do because of him is is brilliant and it's helped millions of people. But yeah, I mean the hole in my heart is the exact thing that you're struggling to ask me.
0: Yeah,
1: is why didn't yeah. I? But yet I brought him into that that addiction training and these people who are therapists are listening to him and they're just, wow, because he's telling us what goes on in rehab. And this is an amazing man. And heroin, unfortunately, and fentanyl is taking down a lot of really wonderful, powerful people who have lots of self-control and they have their, you know, their life together, but you get fentanyl or whatever, you're getting in there and you just don't know. Yeah it's not fun. I recorded a podcast on, um, this makes me feel very emotional, but on day five after he died. I don't know why I did that, but I'd always wondered, what is it like when you have a child that dies? I wonder how, oh boy, oh. And so on day five, I thought, I'll just do this, and if people want to listen to it, they can. And I just said, this is what it feels like. This is what each day is so far, and it's only five days. And it was, woo, it's still hard to, to think about that. <clears throat> now, with my hypnosis work, one of the things that I do is when those memories pop into my head, I can put him in a nice light and, you know, wish him well and give him happiness and health. And if he's coming back for another one, <laughs> You know that he <clears throat> brings back his gifts and then i did uh he's thing clearly called the
0: already given you many gifts Lord wendy because from what from what you've said and what i've observed your insight into the bullshit that is the 12-step plans and all this that the other that have been has, enabled to help so many people have come through him haven't they he
1: has saved the lives of so many people oh my gosh thousands oh. and thousands of people Yeah, so I did a thing about three months after he died. It's a temple of wisdom. And you go into this temple, and it's a sacred place. And this one was for him, and it uh, was made of quartz. And then there was this beautiful crystal table in the middle. And you go in there to honor the good things and the relationship and everything about it that even though it's ended, there's things in there that represent all these memories and, and the things You know, normally you do it by yourself, and it's a really nice process. And he showed up in there, just as real as real can be. Oh, my. And he was talking to me, and it was just amazing the things he was telling me. Oh, my gosh. So after that, you leave the Temple of Wisdom, and you look at it from the outside. You go all around it, and you say, this is where all of these memories in my heart and in my mind, that's where they are. I can come back and visit any time. Or I can just look in the windows from the outside. Come back here. When people lose a child, a common thing is that they have this horrible, um, you know, like right here in your solar plexus, yeah. they have this horrible tight blackness that stays there forever. But that day when I did that temple, it was gone. And it has been gone. And, oh, my gosh, to have it not rest in your solar plexus anymore. mm it was just wonderful, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I'm, I don't mind you asking about that. Is Sometimes it's really hard to talk about it. Sometimes I really lose my shit because <laughs> yeah, obvious reasons.
0: Well, I, I promise you I would never have asked it if you hadn't brought it up because, yeah. but you know, you mentioned it. So let's move away from that, knowing for the viewers at home that I'm not a complete fat. I only asked it because Wendy mentioned it first watch the video again you'll see she mentioned it all right no it's fine
1: it's fine but that is true that he's the reason that i've been doing this work he is the reason that's why
0: a real insight as well that
1: i would never have i would never have tried so those of you who are hypnotherapists out there you don't have this experience i hope But you have the wealth of my experience. And I mean, there's so many materials in the Addiction Freedom Program. There's manuals with all the methods and the marketing and the scripts. And there's. I cannot encourage it enough. There's so much. And it's all done for you. You get business cards and postcards. You get letters to the doctors so you can drop off letters and they'll send you clients because they're desperate for something. I hate the
0: phrase, but it is a business in a box. And I (laughs) know business sounds really. It sounds unemotional, but one thing as therapist, and I speak to a lot of therapists who are not it, they're struggling to pay the bills, one thing you've got to get over as a therapist is it's okay to be able to pay your mortgage and help people. You don't have to just help people and struggle to pay your bills. Get yeah. over that, and then you'll be able to help even more people. Yeah, and you're
1: doing some work that is proven. You're using my testimonials to give you credibility Um, and you're, you're doing something that we know works amazingly well, even for people who don't think it's going to work. Mm. So you're getting the wealth of 20 years of, uh, the addiction work and you can be confident in doing that work because you're not guessing, you're not wondering, like, what do I do? Is this going to work? Or I know they've got a disease. They're re- going to relapse because it's part of recovery and they are. it's genetic. But it gives you the tools to gently help them let go of all of that and show them what does work. And um, and it's a great training. And anyone, you don't really even have to be a hypnotherapist to do it. You need to have some counseling experience of, you know, some kind of therapy. but mm-hmm. um, But anyone could because they could use my recorded – Audio sessions, do sessions with your client, but then have them do the recorded part. So, you, you know, people could do it like rehab centers could do it.
0: But anyway, I 100% <sighs> recommend you look into it if that's a route you want to go down for one reason alone. Anyone, and I've always thought this from the study of anybody who says the 12 step plans are about people being dependent rather than releasing them and comes up with something that is about giving people freedom and control, isn't that what we're supposed to do as therapists, give people a sense of control back and freedom? So without a doubt, definitely look into it. So tell us about your book because you've been writing a book on a cruise, haven't you? Yeah,
1: well, the crossing the Atlantic in a sailboat was um, five years ago. And every day I was typing in my cabin and writing. I'm so glad I did. So I I bought a catamaran that was in Croatia. And I had someone sail it to Las Palmas in Spain. Because on Las Palmas, every year there's 250 boats that all leave together to end up in St. Lucia. Okay. And it's always at the end of November. And and this is in the book – Someone told me, oh, it's the easiest thing. In the end of November, you can sail a bathtub across that ocean. So the current is with you and the winds are with you. Uh, So you're just sailing downwind with the current. I interviewed some people to be my crew, and I found three people, one from Australia. He's my skipper. And then a couple, a Dutch couple that had done crossings. So I felt pretty confident. And it was all fun at first, and all good. Um, they were getting a little bit annoying at points. <laughs> and some of it was pretty funny. But there was like, when we were on land, there's an inspector that goes and inspects every boat and requires you to do what he says. So there's a piece of cord called a dynema that holds the sail up at the very top. And it's very strong. It's stronger than steel, even though it looks like string. And the, the inspector said that Dyneema is frayed. You need to replace that. So um, John and Geis, that's the, one of the Dutch guys' names, they were to replace it. Go, you know, if you can bring the halyard down and do that and put the sail back up. No problem. Well, we're out in the middle of the freaking ocean, and all of a sudden, there wasn't a lot of wind. It was really calm when this happened. All of a sudden, the sail just goes poof falls down. Well, the, the hooky blue thing up there is still up there at the top of the mast. There's no way to get it down. But the sails down here were on the ocean. They said, what what happened? I said, you guys just put the new Dyneema up there. And they said, oh, no, we brought the new one as a spare in case this one breaks. I said, no, no, you replaced it when we were on land. So now imagine this. The boat is on, it's a catamaran, boat's on an ocean, and it's very calm, but it moves a tiny bit. By the time we hoisted Ellie up to the top of the mast, there's a lot more movement up there, right? And it wasn't a lot, but it was still a tremendous amount of force. She's hanging on with her knees, gripping the mast, getting around the rigging while she's being hoisted up, right? And then she yells down, it's lovely up here. And I said, Oh, it must be. And she said, no, no, it's lovely up here. And I said, yeah, you can probably see for miles. (laughs) When she got down, she said, I was telling you, it's wobbly up here. I was scared because I couldn't hang on. (laughs) If, If she didn't hang on with her thighs, and then she's, you know, she's using her hands to get up there. And they're pulling her up. But if she let go, she would have swung, come back into the rigging, and swung out again and probably would have killed her because those two assholes did not put the new dyneema on and inspector told them to i thought they did but anyway the book is about a lot of misadventures and a lot of beautiful things i mean alex i was on watch in the middle of the night there was no moon it was totally dark and i went up to the front of the boat there's no other boats like after day three you don't see no other boats i there were dolphins that came and swam at each side of the front of my hall and there was bioluminescence i've never seen that before so the dolphins were making the bioluminescence glow and i started singing a love song and i sang this song to them and they got in formation three on this side and three on this side and they this would leap then these would leap and these would leap and i kept singing this love song and when it was done they jumped up and went away. I mean, ah, to have experiences like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the end of the book, <clears throat> you will hopefully not be as terrified as I was, but we had storms and squalls for six days that would not stop. 15 to 18-foot seas behind us, these waves crashed into the boat, and they, because they were behind us, the wave would pick the boat up and then the boat would surf down into the trough. And if one of, those, one of those sides got caught in the trough, it could flip us over. We were going so fast because the winds were 45, 50 knots. We were going so fast at times that the alarms were going off in the boat because you're not supposed to go over 12 knots in this boat because then they break. Uh, we were going 16 knots. We couldn't get the sail reefed. And reefed means you bring it down partway so that you don't go so fast. There was too much wind in the sail. We couldn't get it reefed. So John, oh, ha, the memories, John had to put both diesel engines on full speed. So the boat was now going faster, which took the pressure off the boat because the wind is behind us. And so if we're going faster, there's less pressure on the sail and the mast and the riggings. We did that for two hours. And every time we thought we're done with a squall for six days, seven days, every time there was another and another. And you'd see this black cloud forming and you'd see the radar. It didn't fucking end. And so 250 boats coming in to St. Lucia, who should be totally happy because this was really fun. We're like, oh, oh, my God. And somebody broke their mast. They had no mast. And others lost ripped sails and all kinds of stuff. Oh, mm. <laughs> yeah. um, and then
0: you're here, it's, you're it's, alive. Thank God for that. But I mean, that's,
1: uh, you got to read the book. It it is. Nice. Um, I'm so glad I typed every day. I'm so glad. It it's just the little nuances and then the big stuff. And then I'm in the book. I talk about a lot of personal things in my life that just memories because there's not much to do on a boat. So when you leave Las Palmas. It's so fun. There's a huge battleship that blows the, you know, the guns or whatever to send you off and Mm -hmm. there's all these boats. And then about day two or three, it's like, huh. Wow. I'm all alone with three people, but I can't get off the boat. I can't change my mind. And then day five, six, seven, hmm. Can't change this if I wanted to now. Ellie's getting pretty annoying. She doesn't like me anymore, and she doesn't like anything. Who doesn't like Wendy? Come on. (laughs) And, And then I was talking to Geis in this. I was writing about this in the book one evening, and the others were sleeping, and I said, why doesn't Ellie like me? What's the problem? And he says, well, she does this on almost every sailboat we've gotten on. She just doesn't like women, and she attacks them, and I was like, what? <laughs>
0: but anyway, yeah,
1: you'll enjoy reading the book. You
0: have some bloody adventures, don't you? From what I've seen over the years on the internet, when you've been quite out there, because you don't hide things, you say it as it is. <laughs> you, <laughs> you noticed. <laughs> you, 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 I mean, you know, you, you live life to the full.
1: I have been very brave. And I think I got that bravery from my father. And I talk about him a lot in that book because the things he did, he was fearless. He, he would just decide, I'm going to do this. And he did like he decided he our family was um, glass blowers. He taught all five kids to blow glass. And then we oh, would God. do this in malls at Christmas, uh, a big booth in the middle of the mall, and actually working on the torch all day long. But anyway, he needed more glass stock because we couldn't keep up. So he goes to Taiwan. He's never been there. He doesn't know anybody there. He doesn't speak the language. He goes there to build a factory to teach people to be glass blowers and to send the stock. They don't know how to blow glass. It's very hard to learn. It is ridiculous. You've got molten glass. It's just dripping everywhere. He teaches 20 people to be glass blowers. And they send the stock. And he's buying it for like pennies. Then he goes and opens up a second factory in Taiwan. And this is the kind of guy he is, and just whatever he wanted to do, he's like, okay, I can do that. And I think that really matched with my personality that I was born with, because not all my siblings are that way, but for me, it was like, oh, okay, you want to do something? Oh, just, you do it, yeah, Uh uh-huh, of course.
0: Okay, which is great. I'm so glad that you said that. It matched with your personality that you were born with. Cause we've just gone over the hour, and these shows are like generally an hour, an hour and fifteen at top. So we are getting close to the end. Unfortunately, because you are just a bloody fountain of knowledge, a fount of experience, and highly entertaining with some of your experiences, but I've got to ask you: Do you think? Well, obviously. It, The evidence proves it, but you were born, you've identified it yourself. You were born with that type of personality uh, to do the things that other people may be scared of. What would you say to people who are perhaps not born with that personality? Because that's been a key thing to your success without a doubt. You've identified it. People who are trying to strive for, have you got any advice on how they can compensate for the fact they weren't born that way?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, when you're saying that, um, it makes me think of the times when I was really scared to do something like I, I was sharing an office with another hypnotherapist and we were complaining about how you can't make money in hypnotherapy. And after about an hour of complaining to each other, I grabbed the yellow pages. Remember those? Yeah. (laughs) And I opened it up and I just put my finger on there and I said, okay, I'm going to call that And it was a radio station. It was a big radio station in Sacramento. So I called them and I said, hi, I'd like to have a show on your radio station, talk show. (laughs) Because that's how you get talk shows, right?
0: (laughs) You didn't ask to be a gash.
1: You wanted a show. I didn't want to have a show.
0: But I was kind of
1: being silly. I was challenging myself to like, no more complaining, do something. So this is for people out there that are afraid to do something. And she hands she says well wait a minute paul is right here he's the morning show talk show host she hands the phone to paul and i thought he was going to tell me how to have a radio show and he said well first come and be on my show on tuesday morning come at 6 6 a.m i said well don't we need to rehearse first <laughs> <No>. <laughs> i've never been in a radio studio so now i took a chance i did something silly and now i'm going to be on this huge radio station it's big now, if you are afraid of doing something at this point, you probably are going to change your mind or not show up. And I was tempted the night before to not show up. I was scared. I thought, I'm going to screw this up and I'm going to be stupid and everyone's going to hear me being stupid and whatever. So now you're scared and you think you can't do this. What if you can, but you've, you just haven't given yourself the chance to find out? If you keep holding yourself back, especially with the skills of hypnosis that all of you have you're going to miss out on some really amazing things so maybe for you you would discover what i discovered that morning i went in at 6 a.m oh the night before i was in my car and i was really scared and i was driving i was at a red light and i said i'm going to cancel i'm going to cancel and i thought no 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 and i said i've done this hundreds of times people love having me on their show and I've been doing this so long, that woman in the car next to me, she recognizes me. She's looking, look, see, yeah, she knows who I am. She's Excellent. Yeah. And then I'm just driving down the road going, yeah, this was so simple, and any of you can do this, but you got to play with your brain and have fun. So 6 a.m., I was in the studio, and I had done this hypnosis that the minute you see the microphone and you say your first word, it's going to be fun, and you're going to be brilliant. And I was in there for three Hours on the air. Every phone line, five phone lines were lit up the whole time taking callers and I was really deathly, not deathly, I was afraid that people would ask questions that I couldn't answer because I was really, really new at this time. But it was great. So now, my appointment book was totally full for three months in advance. I started doing workshops because I couldn't handle all the clients so I could see 10 or 15 people at once and, oh, but if, You know, if those of you who are scared, what if you're really good at something and you're not going to find out? Wouldn't you want to kind of look in the mirror and go, hey, maybe I am good at this. Wendy was thrown on a stage with 400 people on TV knowing nothing. But maybe you have that ability and you don't know it. I didn't know that I could do that on that stage. It was just like magic is happening. (laughs) And then from there... I got to be on a lot more TV shows, and I wasn't so scared. Yeah, a little scared, but not so scared
0: anymore. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes total sense. Uh, <laughs> I, well, I, I was about to say I've only got two questions left. I've only got two questions I can fit in time-wise. I'd oh, love yeah. to ask you a thousand. But <laughs> Sorry about I, that. That wasn't the short these, answer. <laughs> so the, um, the last one is the one I ask everyone it's consistent to this show so i'll leave that to last the one before that would be you massively going back to the beginning almost you were the first lady on the internet hypnosis wise well first that web archive noticed it and you built a massive internet presence how important to people watching approach does getting into hypnotherapy or, or whatever would you say is learning to understand how the internet works in this Day and age
1: you know yeah it was really important back then because there just wasn't you know there wasn't the capacity for all these websites that are almost pre-built for you and that i don't like the technology part of the business and it does help to learn these things yourself you don't want to pay someone a hundred dollars an hour every time you need a little thing fixed And most of the software is really pretty easy now to, you know, send out emails or do automations or segmenting and things. Once you learn it, you won't be afraid of it so much anymore. I had to, at some point I wanted to build my own websites so that each one was a specific topic. So I had a book that was how to use the software and the book's like 200 pages on how to use the software to build this website. And I spent 10 hours probably one day Going through the book page by page and, okay, then we're going to have to clip this. It was really hard then. And I was really determined because I said that I never, never, never want to be poor again. I was poor. I was, it was pitiful. But I decided never, never going to be poor again. And that was like my mantra, even though it's negative, but, yeah, the technology part, it's getting a lot easier, and it's not that challenging anymore. So you do have to learn that to get yourself out there. Mm-hmm. But go do. For, for hypnotherapists who need clients, call your local radio talk stations. Get on the air. TV shows have sometimes where they need guests, and they need interesting guests, and they love hypnosis because it's weird. Um call a newspaper and see if they want to do a story. One time in my office, I called the newspaper and I said, because the stock market was crashing, and I said, I can do hypnosis for all the stress that people are feeling when the market's crashing. They sent a truck over there to do a story on me. Uh, <laughs> yes. So if you guys don't try, you know, the magic may not happen.
0: Excellent. A perfect answer. So that leads me to the question I ask every week. Viewers at home will either be bored of this question or more likely based on the fact that everyone's either given, out of the three possible answers to this, the majority of people have given one that matches and the other two are different. That'll make more sense in a minute to Wendy because this is being recorded before the launch date. of This is the 24th of January we record, the official launch date is 26. So the question I've been asking everyone is this, If somebody knocked on your door now and they were there at the door just with one of your hypnosis books or anyone's hypnosis books, they've read one hypnosis book, that's it. But for some reason they decided they want to become a hypnotherapist. Uh, If you could only give them three top tips... (coughs) Whether that's about how to go and learn, how to make a business, what well, it doesn't matter. What would your top three tips, gut instinct, top three tips be to them?
1: Well, I would want them to get proper training where they are learning from someone who is an expert in it. There's a lot of newbies that are doing hypnosis training and having you buy these classes online, do it in person. Where you're practicing with people, with other students. If it's a class that's for a month, I did one that was for um, almost a year, and that was great, four days a week. You got to practice with people and get your confidence up. The other thing is to realize that for the most part, it's not that difficult to be a hypnotherapist. You could, I was reading scripts to people after I had them close their eyes. I would very quietly take my piece of paper and I read Terence Watts' scripts, because he's brilliant, you know. And I would read that to them and then i put it down at the end and bring them back up. And they had brilliant results. So that would be the other thing. Don't be afraid if you're not experienced enough to get started. What you do with them, even, well, in most cases, what you do if you're working with a script from someone is not going to be harmful, and it's going to be more phenomenal for them than any therapy they've ever had, probably. Mm -hmm. So the third thing is, I think that was two, um, is to get confidence up by using hypnosis on yourself. Don't deny yourself the opportunity to be stronger, happier, better, more focused. Take yourself a year into the future to that time where when I was so poor, that's what I did, I took myself into that future, and there were these people smiling, and their eyes were bright, and they were grateful for what I had done for them, and that still lives right here, I mean, I can feel it now, what I saw, and and I'd written a book in the future, and people loved that, and you do that, and then you go, wow, okay, that's the part of me I want to really, like, enhance, and grow, and
0: Do something awesome. Excellent. Wendy, would you please tell everybody who's viewing, I will put a link underneath the video as well so people can click straight on it, but can you please tell them, because I know you're going to be appearing at hypnosis conferences around the world, um, so pretty much you're going to see Wendy's name pop up anyway, but in the meantime, in reference to the program she spoke about, her books, her audio programs, training programs, you name it, where do they go and find them?
1: You just go to wendy.com, but spell it with an I, W-E-N-D-I, or if you spell it any other way, you'll probably get porn. <laughs> I don't know. But also use the code. So when you go to wendy.com, you'll see all the programs, and they're in a course format now, so they're really nice to use. But use the code Alex, or I can do Jonathan instead. Which do you prefer?
0: Um, Alex is less typing for people. Okay.
1: So use the coupon code Alex, and then you'll get 25% off anything you buy. Oh,
0: wow, viewers. That's yep. cool. I didn't know about that. That She sprung that on me live. So thank you very much, Wendy. Excellent, viewers. Really, go and use that code. Um, and I definitely recommend the addiction program because anyone who's about setting people free and giving them a sense of power, personal power and freedom rather than making them dependent. Yeah. So That's I just wanted topic.
1: to, I want to mention something real quick about getting to meet you because, you know, you said that you're the bad boy in hypnosis and as Jonathan Royal. I mean, mm-hmm. it was like when you contacted me to be on this show, I was like, ah oh, him? Come on. Because Jonathan Royal, you know, you're like in people's faces and you've got reputation and meeting you and talking to you has been such a pleasure i am so glad i got to know you in this way the, who you really are thank and you. it just seems like you've got a really big heart and i feel so like connected to you now and really grateful to for the opportunity to get to know you
0: thank you wendy i appreciate that um i wasn't gonna say but because <laughs> it's contextually i the fact is for now right, on this channel where this is if people go back So the beginning the first episode, which is out now, well not out before we recorded this, Robert Temple interviews me and we just go into the uh, truth behind the rumours and stuff and the thing is I got a lot of bad publicity in the early 90s in England, Uh, but the thing is to put it in perspective in 1994, January 94 when it all happened, I was only 17 years old. Wow, wow In England, I was one of the first uh, hypnotists to regularly be on television as a stage hypnotist Unfortunately, the way things went in England um, Somebody died after a hypnosis show It had nothing to do with hypnosis, but the media jumped on it It wasn't my show But what happened, the British TV uh, had filmed a load of my shows, and they put out the news item. This person died after the hypnosis show. What? There was a debate about whether it caused it or not. And then they'd show clips from my show. Oh. People in the industry who knew it wasn't me ended up believing it was my show, and it wasn't. And then after that, I also got attacked. And I was doing an adult style show, and yet the irony of it is the stuff I was actually doing then, with the exception of one routine that I do regret uh, in the context of I'm older now, but I don't regret the fact that he kept a roof over my head and paid the bills at the time. But I did in 1994 uh, on a TV show in England apparently wake a lady up thinking she'd just been raped but the thing is i didn't Mm. Uh, as i admit on my website now it was a paid actress i've got the proof there i would never put anyone in that circumstance i never did that at live shows i never would but i knew how to harness the media and it did get me work um they say there's no such thing as bad publicity, but sometimes there is. It hangs around. Yeah, the truth. I know. I know. Um, yeah. And then people grow up. I was 17 at the time. I'm 44 now, 45 this year. Wow. Are, yeah. but thank well, you for you know, recognizing that.
1: A bad publicity thing. And it is tough sometimes to make a lemonade out of lemons. But yeah. luckily it's far in the past for both of us. Well, not the Penn & Teller thing's not that far in the past. But... Um, I do kind of appreciate the opportunity to enlighten people to what they do and and what I really did. And I It's did not it.
0: Penn and Teller that do that, Lord, just about this, right? They, effectively, they're just presenters. The producers right. have the a producers. directive. They get a yeah. whole bunch of material. They then give a script to Penn and Teller in that context to read, to camera. Man. They probably haven't seen all the stuff. Quite often TV presenters haven't seen the VT that's shown, which is the visual footage that they caught in. And when it's all cut together, it looks like the person who is the presenter's got this opinion. Yeah. They may never have even seen the footage. Yeah.
1: I know. I thought about that. I thought I bet they went in and read some scripts and, okay, our part's done, and then someone else puts it together. But it's unfortunate that there are people in the world that would choose to be actually vicious to, you know, just – the mom yeah. that's trying to feed her kids and doing good work and whatever, but yeah, thank you for doing that. I end you. on a high note, and I'm so grateful to have met you this way. And just I a- will
0: meet you in person at some point. I most definitely will, as I'm sure many people watching this go to no thoughts Live. You will see Wendy or other conferences. Go to our website. Uh, wendy.com that's w-e-n-d-i but the link's there if you're lazy and can't be bothered typing <laughs> click on it go get the stuff thank you so much everyone tune in next week tape Hypnosis week thank you once again wendy you. you're a star